Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this must be episode 242. Uh, it's a conversation with Jules Van Costello. He's a wine guy. Uh, he has ri- just written a book called Beyond the Vines, a really good book about uh, New Zealand wine and New Zealand vineyards and, and his story about wine as well is in there, his, his journey because he uh, grew up in the Hawke's Bay just as it was becoming known for wine, moved away, went back and you know had jobs at Black Barn and Craggy Range, he was he graduated up to being a sommelier and um, has been involved in hospitality and the wine trade. Then he got into writing about craft beer and he wrote a book called Brood. Uh, a guide to craft beer, which I think came out in 2015, and then he updated it in 2017. So a whole new addition to it with about two thirds new material. Um, so he's done blogs and a bit of review writing and a bit of um, you know some columns and commentary and been on some podcasts about alcohol. But he also has um, he has a, an importing company called Colt Wine, and he has had some shares in some Wellington restaurants. He's just an all round behind the scenes enthusiast that is actively involved as well in these various strains of this business. Um, You know, working the angles, doing the side hustle, making a full job out of doing all these different things. And that's culminated in this brand new book, um, Beyond the Vines, which which is self-published through an entity that his wife and he have set up, a company that they've set up to to push and promote the book. So um, I invited him around when he was in town. Uh, He's from Wellington, you know, spent a lot of time in Wellington, but he's now living in New Plymouth. And I invited him around to have a chat uh, because I didn't know him. Um, but I knew him on Facebook and I think we'd met once but I wanted to have a chat to him about how all this worked and I like his writing um, as you might know from following this podcast and as you'll certainly know if you listen to this one I'm off alcohol at the moment I'm not drinking and I still found his writing about alcohol pretty interesting and, and good writing so I reckon that's a pretty good plug if a person who's not drinking still wants to read a book about alcohol. Uh, And I enjoyed this conversation with Jules, and um, yeah, it goes to some pretty cool places. So uh, enjoy this. This is me talking with all-around wine guru, Jules Van Costello. We've not met. I think we met very briefly at a Nick Cave gig. Ah. Um, Mm. Yeah, a while ago. Right. Because yeah. I've read read your, your work mm. for a while. and like. I mean, I, we know each other on Facebook. Yep. We've corresponded a little bit. I know who, uh, you're one of those people where I've gone, how, how do I know you? Like, yep. you know, we're just... Yeah. yeah. And so, um, but I know a little bit about what you do. And, and I guess why you're here in particular is the brand new book. But you've written a couple of books. And I want to sort of get to that and also get through your journey of how you've come to do this. Because you're a Hawke's Bay boy. I am originally, yeah. You're a bit younger than me, so I wouldn't have known you there at all. And, and well, we didn't know that yeah. we were both from there. But you grew up there? Yeah, yeah. So I um, I grew up in Hawke's Bay, basically lived there um, till I was 18 and then came to Wellington to go so to university. And same then, story as me. <laughs> just sort of about, like, you know, oh, many yeah. others. But just I didn't like never look back. I, yeah. um, I lived there for a little bit um, when I worked at Craggy Range, mm. sort of, um, that's now like probably 10 years ago mm. but yeah yeah um mm. and a good so i mean it's a good uh it's good in your story though the 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 hawks bay connection isn't it so i mean well what well for, you know what do you what do you what's your job what do you say that you do um so uh, I, I say that i sell piss <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> um, because because i think that like um especially with like the new generations of drinker whether that's millennial or mm. like 
the even younger, which mm. fucking scares me. Mm. Um, there's much less differentiation between wine, beer, things mm. like hard seltzer, which has sort of been a been a fad internationally mm. or been a been a trend internationally because I think it's like here to stay. Um, and now it's kind of coming in really big here. Um, there's less of I'm of this drinker. Mm. And so I sell alcohol. Mm. Um, I only sell wine, but like it doesn't matter sort of who I'm selling it to. I have to You're into of, the drinking experience. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and then also like I talk about like in terms of my, my job, I describe myself as a communicator mm. um, and an educator. So like we do a lot of even through my through my business, we do a lot of wine tastings, wine education, mm. um, and all of that's to give people more um, confidence in themselves. Because mm. the wine industry can be very um, elitist, it can be very exclusionary, and um, that turns people off. I yeah. want more people drinking wine, um, and I want them drinking it in like a in a, in a healthy way. Um, and I think one of the ways to do that is give them confidence in that. I was going to say we'll get to the point where we discuss the um, hazards and social impacts of drinking. But what I noticed in both of your books is you do that immediately, which I liked. I thought, you know, because I've talked to a couple of other people for the podcast before that are primarily involved in alcohol. One was um, Stu from Yeasty Boys, for yeah. example, and he, he did the same thing. Like, we had a really good chat around that. But I, I was interested to note how... Um, overt it was you kind of front footing that like you know let's not lie alcohol does some damage it's not a good thing for some people and there are a lot of problems um, he, here's where I'm coming from yeah and so do you, is it is it super important to do that do you think yeah I, I think you can't I mean first of all I think there is a huge problem among a section of the wine industry particularly that has really try to ignore and minimal minimize the effect of the fact the fact that wine's an alcoholic beverage mm, mm. um because like i mean i i know some of the statistics and some of the science behind it and actually um realistically wine does tend to cause less harm than other forms of alcohol particularly mm -hmm. i mean particularly anything that's designed to get you drunk mm -mm. as quickly and cheaply as possible mm -hmm. so like for instance some sections of the market cask wine um cl like clean skins they can fall into that but wine is slightly different as is craft beer as is great scotch mm. um because we're often drinking or or any sort of like really good spirit um because we are drinking for more than one reason we yes, yeah, we yeah. we are drinking for the buzz but we are also drinking to appreciate something and there has to be a balance between those things. Mm. But no, I do think that um, that the wine industry can um, ignore those problems a little bit or push those problems to the side. But realistically, like, a couple of bottles of 200 $300 wine can cause exactly the same, exactly the same harm as a 700ml bottle of, like, mm. cheap vodka. Mm. Um, yeah, mm. or maybe... Mm. Not quite the same, like, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying. No, no, totally. Like, like, like rich lawyers mm. um, drink very expensive wine, then get into cars and crash them and get off. Mm. And, like, that's, it's alcohol. And mm. we it's just, it's just a thing you have to be aware of. And as someone selling it mm. and promoting it, 
um, not to acknowledge that it does cause a lot of harm. Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, that's what I thought with the the beer book and the new one, which is a wine book. You know, like you, yeah, you're not gonna, you're not tripping yourself up and getting super paranoid and apologetic but at the same time you're going well let's address this elephant in the room if i just put out this book saying here's all these great products you can and should buy and it's your problem if you're an addict or someone in your family is you know that's not that's not the way to do it Mm. and so i guess it's for us in a way it's quite good to have this conversation early too because then we can move on from it but i mean the thing is but it is important right yeah and like i mean like craft beer which i've also written about it is an industry that people have their livelihoods based on Mm. so like theoretically we could decide as a society that we don't want alcohol at all Mm. but that's never really succeeded because alcohol is really easy to make Mm. i mean it's the same problem with cannabis in new zealand like it's Mm. not hard to grow cannabis in most parts of new zealand Mm. so uh uh, an approach like we've currently got seems really silly because the same with alcohol you need sugar and yeast or a form of sugar and yeast and you can make booze mm. stopping people completely from that is just seems silly because you're never going to be able to do it mm, mm. so i was saying like for your story um yeah coming from the hawks bay and in the time you did uh, in the era that you grew up in that's a nice linked backstory to being involved in the wine industry because and i thought you know i found it really interesting in your new book you discussing the sort of the history of hawks bay with one because i mean I grew up in Hawke's Bay, I guess I was really there from 1980 until 1995, those were my Hawke's Bay years, and so wine wasn't even really a thing, you know, it was a thing, but it wasn't a thing, and I, you know, when I grew up there, it was very much um, John Buck's yeah tomato you know that oh, was the thing and 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 craggy range and stuff came afterwards yeah so so especially when i was growing up it was the same yeah like tomato was like this wine that everyone had so much love for and put mm. on a pedestal mm. um and like i grew up in Havelock north i mm. grew up literally on tomato road so the mm. winery was i mean it was a wee way down the road but it was down the road mm. and we drive well, past i was in it. durham drive so yeah yeah off tomato road. Um, <laughs> yeah. right around the corner yeah like, yeah. yeah um and one of the things that interested me about wine, both um, when I was kind of in high school and then a little bit later when I was sort of um, working in hospitality, like mm. like in uni breaks and things like that, mm. was just how much um, reverence people gave to it. Mm. And I kind of worked out very quickly, even before I really enjoyed drinking it, that it was something that was quite special and quite different. Um yeah, I can't, I'm, I'm trying to think how, you know, I, I'm probably the old-fashioned, like, I probably got into drinking wine because I felt like it got me drunk a bit quicker than beer in terms of my, you know, like, growing up drinking, yep. you know, I was a very uncouth, like, that would have been how I would have approached wine. And then I settled into it and went, well, I like this about wine yeah. and I like this and I particularly like this. But, you know, I didn't, yeah, I was pretty, but I'm, I'm curious to know how someone develops this appreciation from a young age and yeah so i mean it wasn't like i was i was i, I was um legally allowed to drink mm. by the time i was drinking wine so it wasn't necessarily like a young young age but i mean like i guess like i would drink we drink cheap vodka um we always like used to we used to, we used to bike in our school uniforms to prenzel <laughs> to buy booze and they would sell it to us yeah. and that's like today that seems 
horrific. Yeah. But um, no, well, yeah. So I, I was probably drinking. Yeah, cheap, the cheapest beer I could possibly drink, yeah, which yeah. I hated. Walks by draft. Um, no, 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 <laughs> cheaper than that. Like, wow. like, like random yeah, Korean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, whatever was cheapest. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, yeah, cheap, cheap spirits and stuff like that. But no, so I was working at um, Black Barn basically my first summer um, back from university. So that would have been mm. 2003 um, and, or maybe 2002. And um, sort of like because we were at a wine, we were working for a winery mm. restaurant, we mm. actually got to try a lot of the wine. And then, yeah, you sort of like started developing like an interest in it. And then when I moved back to Wellington, took a job at Arbitrage, which is where, um, I think it's Gorilla Burger mm-hmm. is now. Mm. Um, but that was an amazing, um, classic wine bar, Mm-mm. huge wine list, lots of wines by the glass. This mm. was before sort of Corvin and things like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, and I just kind of like being like, yeah. a, a sort of a, in people's mind, that was a really wanky, like, and it, it, you know, you had to, you couldn't bluff. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and like, we had great staff. Um, yeah. But also it was like the last days of that sort of like pre-GFC eating and mm. drinking. Um, what am I trying to think? Um, like advertising executives, yeah. all that yeah, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So like it wasn't unusual to be opening five, six hundred dollar bottles of wine. Wow. And so, and then we also got to taste them mm. um, because we were serving them and that sort of thing it was like traditional service where you do taste wine before you serve to the customer and things like that. And like some of that shit blew my mind Mm-mm. and I just became more and more interested. In, um, like, I couldn't afford to necessarily buy a lot of like the great wines. Um, I got to try a whole pile of them and I feel like I feel for kids. And I, I know that's really, really um, pejorative <laughs> term, but I feel for like, the guys who are doing it now because they're those wines that i got to try like grand cru burgundy Mm-mm. um first growth bordeaux uh great champagne they are so expensive mm. that it's very very hard to be able to taste and like i think that's if you have access to those wines it's really important because it does put everything else in context mm. um but yeah i got and then i started reading about wine because i couldn't try wines that i really wanted to try that i heard to him talk about so i was like okay i'll read some books about wine and then I, I kind of as i say in the book i like fell in love with wine from the perspective of someone reading about wine mm-hmm. as well because mm-hmm. like there was just so many amazing wine books that told really cool stories about the people who made it and where the grape came from and then like i particularly i found it really empowering to say like you read what a great wine writer says about mm. like a region in France and mm. you've never tried that wine. You've only got this context of someone having written about it. And then you try the wine and those things, they don't, don't necessarily all line up, but they start to line up. And then that, for me, that gave me a lot of like interest and confidence and yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, let's rewind a bit. What, what was happening for you growing up in Hawke's Bay? What exactly were you, what was, what was going on before you could drink? What um, were you into? Oh, so um, yeah, so I grew up with my mum. Um, my, my dad's kind of lived overseas my whole life. Saw him occasionally through, through my childhood, um, and I was really into like theatre, speech and drama, um, sort of like art stuff. Mm. Yeah. And what did you plan to do? What did you you know when you leave when you come to Wellington when you leave school? What's your first off? My my first my my my, my it was I was going to be a lawyer. 
Yeah. Um, so I went to Vic. I went went to law school. I did. Um, so I did f- first year I did really well. Um, the second, so the second two years, first lot of second year I did okay. Second is a lot of second year I actually passed. So mm-hmm. I. Um, this is this is this is horrific, <laughs> humble bragging here. But like, so law school, it's mostly open book exams. So mm-hmm. I turned up to open book exams with no textbooks. And managed to scrape a pass, <laughs> but then I kind of realised that law school probably wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right around when you were realising that wine was, yeah, was a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I went to Heroith, which is a private school, mm. um, and like my mum busted her ass to send me there because she was a single mum. Um, and then Havelock High, which I loved because it had an amazing sort of speech drama thing. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm an ex Havelock High boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. And so you get so you st- and then you go back to Hawke's Bay in the holidays as a student, and you start getting into Black Barn and <laughs> yeah, working wineries. Craggy Range. And, yeah. Oh, Craggy Range came a little, little bit later. Like, like yeah, because when did that open? I mean, no, so was, it was open. Yeah, but but I wasn't cool. You. I yeah, wasn't yeah. cool enough to work there. Right. Because um, that was where like, I had friends working there and things like that. But that was like seen as sort of like a different level. Because oh. I had a nice memory reading your book in the intro when you talk about the the Giants thing yep. at Craggy Ranch, because I went to that. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Which was, which was um, Tim Finn, Kerry DeCarnawa, and um, what's his name? Sir Edmund Hillary. Sir Edmund Hillary told his amazing, like, with the with the NZSO, or members of the NZSO, no, pretty much the full complement of the NZSO. And, you know, it was a Hawke's Bay winery concert, so lots of people were getting boozed on the product mm. and stuff but I, I was one of the most amazing things to me was you know great sets by Kerry and Tim but hearing Edmund Hillary mm. read from his book about his journey yeah. with this big orchestral swell behind it when he gets to like you know we knock the bastard off or whatever it was amazing yeah that was incredible and then you you look around and it is the very embodiment, I mean, we didn't use words like this then, but it's the very embodiment of privilege, isn't it? Yep. To be in this incredible place and go, I grew up here, I took this place for granted, largely. All of this shit was starting to happen when I left. And what an incredible, idyllic moment and, you know, Yeah, and I vista. mean, I think that would still be probably one of the most, like, iconic kind of things that's happened in yeah. Hawke's Bay. And yeah. I mean, like... I do write about Craigie in the book. I have like a relationship both with the place and with yeah. a lot of the people, both current people and, and past yeah. people. But um, it was like yeah, a really special time. But like at Black Barn, we were like we were quite like we were not quite that cool because that mm, was mm. that was like the people I were, uh, went to school with and stuff like that. But they'd all worked already in very good restaurants, and they were all sort of headhunted to run that restaurant at Craigie and. Mm. Um, yeah, it's yeah. It was Black, sort of I mean, very professional. Black Barnes put some shows on. Um, it obviously starts with the mission. Yeah. And Church Road, of course, do plenty of great things. It made me realise, like, there's actually probably, if someone had been keeping score from the beginning, a beautiful coffee table book to be made about vineyard concerts and horses. As, as much as they're an easy bit of a cheap laugh that this is what the the privileged yeah. rich white people do. I've been to quite a few of these shows, and some of them are extraordinary. Yeah. You know, like, and I and I've stayed away. I mean, from we are life. like, but we are also like, I don't know, relatively privileged. One hundred. I'm not going to say rich, but like, no, totally we're relatively of, privileged of, white people. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah um, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. So, 
worked at Black, but it was great. I mean, and it was a little bit more relaxed. Um, and then, like, when I was at Black Barn, we had an amazing chef. Um, I think his name was Terry. Um, who must have seen that, like, A, it was something I was interested in, and also, like, I was prepared to sort of work and mm. do stuff. So I got, like, taken to do a few, like, crazy extravagant dinners for... Um, wine people yeah yeah um, often relatively wealthy yeah, wine of course. people and sort of then got to try this whole bunch of new zealand wine um so stuff like dry river and Ararangi mm. and obviously craggy range and tomato and things like that and then i kind of saw that like hey there's really cool stuff happening here as well mm-hmm. it's and so when does the um like I guess in your in your life, when does the writing aspect come into it? Like when do you, th- or and or when do you think, oh, I'm going to write a book uh, based on this because it's not then. No, no. So writing came into it quickly when I was at university. Yeah. Because um, like university, so at Hamlet North, I was like really into into art. Yeah. And, or theatre mainly. Yeah. And then got to Wellington, and going from being like I don't know, a medium sized fish in a small pond where like all you had to do to to, to get a role and play was turn up mm. to wellington where there was this like vibrant theater scene um i went to university i think she was a year b- below me but like with eleanor bishop who oh, yeah, is yeah. amazing yeah um i wasn't that good i'm oh, sorry i <laughs> did, don't know if that picked up but i was saying i wasn't very good um i don't necessarily know if i wasn't that good but i wasn't good enough yeah yeah and so i fell into salient and yeah. started writing about all sorts of shit, um, but mainly theatre and doing theatre reviews. Um, and then was the theatre editor of, of Salient for a couple of years mm. because um, well, I, I don't know what it's like now, but one of the cool things about Salient then was that, um, especially in regards to the arts in Wellington, there wasn't necessarily enough traditional coverage. Mm. And so, mm. like, we got invited to fucking everything mm. and so like we we had like we, we i like, had to i had spreadsheets planning out like mm. um what the shows people were going to for the new zealand festival and the festival was like you can go to any show you want to yeah. and so and things like that and and fringe and there's always something happening um and so where we had sort of a couple of pages to fill every week um for and so that's kind of how i fell into writing and then um in terms of how I got to writing a book about wine, I originally wanted to write a book about wine, and I'd pitched it to a few publishers and stuff like that, and there was no real interest. Obviously, I sort of did blogging and other shit mm, that mm, we all did, mm, and like mm. every man and his dog did in like yeah, 2011, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or maybe 2017. Uh, no, sorry, 2007. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and then this thing called craft beer came along, mm. and I was like, okay, so I really like craft beer i'm really interested but like no one is doing no one is very few people are covering it seriously so like it was sort of kind of like one of those more sort of calculated decisions it's like i want to write a book about wine but there is a hole in the market for a book Mm. about beer (laughs) so like let's write a book about beer um, and I can get and I can I then yeah and yeah yeah totally no but it's interesting that because it was um you know you know there's been wine writing for a long time and you know, I read some. I read some wine writing as a person who's just interested in learning about subjects yeah. and interested in good writing. So, I remember 
you know, when that book came out, there was a series of books. And was it John Saker that wrote the wine one? But there was a series of books. Oh, the, how to look yeah, at yeah. how yeah, to. How to dr- I think his and so how his to is how to drink a glass of wine or yeah. whatever. And there was how to look at a painting, you know, um, which was Justin Patton. Did you write really one good. of those? No. no, 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 no. Nick Bollinger. Oh, Nick did Bollinger did. To, sorry, sorry. No, Nick Bollinger did how to yeah. listen to pop music. Yeah. I think. Yeah, which was great. No, I would have loved to have yeah. done one of those. I was I was too young and inexperienced, but I read that series and yeah, it'd be but great you, to. You, Oh, you I wrote, wrote the... I wrote on song. Yeah, yeah, on song. Is, yeah, which yeah. Is, I was know, getting confused. Yeah, 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 which is sort of the same thing. Yeah. It's just its own thing rather than linked to a... Mm. Ra- you know, but absolutely. No, 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 I was the I was the same. I was like, how do I get into this series? How do mm. I... You know, not, not... I was never knocking on the door and asking the question. I just mean in my own mind. I was going, how do I do this? So you read those things. And so I read that book, How to Drink a Glass of Wine. Loved it. Mm. Great piece of writing. Gave me some tips and stuff. And I'm not even the the normal subject for that I guess but what what I was getting to was yeah you don't remember any beer writing back then and then craft beer comes and there's this next thing there's newspaper columns yeah. there's blogs there's a scene yeah there's, a scene. Yeah, there's lots seemed of seemed to happen overnight and it did it did happen overnight like I remember drinking like epic pale ale and going wow this is fucking crazy and that beer is still a damn good beer yeah um and yeah, it just exploded very, very quickly. And it was sort of like, in terms of when it aligned with with media and things, it sort of came at the right time mm. um, because it was sort of the same time as like the blog format went massive. Um, and there were some amazing, well, there still are some amazing writers about beer mm. and, and wine and things in New Zealand. But I mean, one of the things that I would say is, and this is kind of one of the things that that led me to look at like books as a format mm. was that um, with the, the 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 way that the mainstream oh fuck I sound like a trumper um, the way <laughs> the way that the mainstream media has has um, gone there's just like less work for people writing about yep. any niche subject yep and so. I mean, I was lucky. I was young. I'm like relatively digitally literate. I saw that there are other ways to sort of achieve these things rather than through like more traditional formats. Mm. But like, I do really feel for a whole generation, sort of like slightly older than you, Mm. um, because they built a livelihood on a way of. Yeah, doing yeah, business, yeah, yeah. yeah well, and it's not there, and, and then it just disappeared very, very quickly. I mean, arguably, that's happened to me, um, and in a lot of ways, too. I've, I've, uh, people think I've adapted because I've got an online presence, but I'm not really, I haven't really monetized it, yeah. so uh, but that I put that down to me being a useless cunt, um, more than anything else, really. <laughs> um, but you're no, you're dead right, because I was speaking to Murray Kamek recently, and he basically said to me when he left. Um, I, I'd ha- I'd have a website if I thought I could make money out of it, but if I can't, I'm not going to, which is totally fair, and I and I can see how he would think that, but 
you know, you can't just come straight in and go, well, I did this for this long, I deserve to be paid. Yeah. You have to work your way into it. And so if someone's, you know, in their 60s and has grew up in an era where they were yep. not paying for music when people were paying for music and being paid for talking about it, it's going to be very hard to adapt to, oh, I'll give you a certain amount away for free and mm. I hope I'll claw this back. Yeah, yeah. especially so, especially when there are so many pre people prepared to do it that's right nothing. that's right yeah um and that's what we're sort of i say we that's what we're sort of fighting against anyone getting into that mm. has to has to be aware of that that the the great democratization that the internet has enabled yeah. is also the great curse of it yeah totally <laughs> and, and i mean the thing is like you just have to be you just have to be smart about it mm -hmm. and work out other ways of doing it mm. so like both both the first beer book and then this book. I mean, this book, it, it literally is in bookshops today. Mm. Um, but it is four years later than I told people what it would be. Mm. Um, and, like, that's really hard. And that's been, like, even that that element of it has been a lot of pressure mm. on me and has, at times, made it harder to actually write the fucking book. Mm. But, um, like, both both projects were funded with Kickstarter first. Mm -hmm. And so, and the, the beer book, we managed to get a publishing deal with Potter and Burden, um, who were great. Uh, but this one, we actually created our own entity to self-publish. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because we knew it was, like, from everything we'd been told about writing books about wine, it's mm. a very small yeah. um, market. Mm. Um I'm lucky that I already have like a lot of contacts in the industry and things like that. So we're actually we're going to do this ourselves. Um, we have the books distributed by a company that distributes a lot of small publishers and self-published mm -hmm. people. Um, because if I sold, if we did it through a traditional publisher, like the book might make. A thousand bucks in mm. sales for mm. a fuck ton of work. Yeah, um, because you don't get paid much out of royalties and things mm -hmm. like that, and that's just the nature of the beast. So we did it, did it our own way, mm. and that way we can sell direct. We can sell through other channels, mm -hmm. um, and if it does do well, like we got a really great review last night, which was really yeah, nice. That, um, yeah. If it does do well, we can then just print more. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're in control of the of well of every aspect of it. Yeah. But you're in control of the of the distribution and marketing of it, and then your so your first and best place to understand what the demand is and and uh, i mean this with no disrespect but given your contacts and your involvement in the industry you can work out ways to um subtly manipulate when i say manipulate that you can orchestrate you know further interest in it you yeah. can have yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can have events around it you yep. can um you can gift gift it to certain people you can decide who needs to see this yeah, thing, yeah, that yeah. that's going to help you in a way that other um, beginner or self-published authors won't have either won't have the contacts or won't be working in that industry. Industry. Oh, you yeah, very much. Yeah. And, but the thing is, like, even working with a traditional publisher with Brood. Yeah. Like we worked out very quickly. Yeah. And this is no disrespect to, to Potter and Burden. Mm -hmm. We worked out really quickly that we also had to hustle to sell oh, to yeah. sell books. 
um, whether that's through events, through trying that's to a get a total it. hustle. Yeah, and thing. so like, um, I think a lot of people think, oh, you write a book, <laughs> you send it off to a publisher, yeah, um, and then like it goes out into the world, and yeah, sure it does, but you might get like, I mean, if it's what, if it's if it's if it's well, long format nonfiction, they might print a five hundred to a thousand copies. Yeah, um, <coughs> I think they printed. I think they printed two and a half thousand copies of On Song, and that was fucking heaps. Yeah, yeah. And also, that was nearly that was eight years ago. Yeah, so and we that's did a lot. We did we did five thousand copies of the first brood mm. and about three thousand copies of the second one. Second one didn't do so well, but I blame our fucking prime minister for that. <laughs> um, no, the book. Sorry, the book came out um, literally two days before Jacinda was announced as the leader of the Labour Party pre the lot like the last mm, election mm, mm. and so we were like we were, we were we had tv appearances and we had Everything. all sorts of oh, media right. plan yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was like <laughs> <laughs> yank yeah. yeah um but yeah yeah you just you had like i think people underrate that element of it um and so yeah oh, so totally yeah. and it's it, it's it's all a hustle i mean i wrote two well i put together two ebooks this year just as lockdown projects and you know they 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 consist of previously I was under no delusion that these were going to make money for me while I slept or anything like that. It was just a thing to do. Um, but they disappeared almost entirely without a trace because you kind of then have to set up this whole thing where you you are spending more time marketing than you than you are writing. Yeah. So you are, and I've seen it happen because I've got a little bit involved in some of the communities online to see how it works. Uh, and I think New Zealanders generally aren't aren't that good and aren't that into this but people get in your you know instant messages offering you a free book in exchange for a customer review and stuff i'm just not doing that i'm just not playing that game that's not who i am i don't give a fuck and these things didn't cost me anything but my time which i had to put together so if i make nothing off them to me it's all just long tail stuff one day someone will see i've got three or four ebooks as well as whatever else i've done and they they may or may not respect that but yeah, that's that's the, that's the thing that happens in all aspects of book writing. So if you put a book out through a publisher, unless it's a runaway success, which that's frankly like, that's like a percent of a percent. That's that's right. Which, but we all it's a bit like Hollywood movies. We all feed off those stories. Those are the ones we're told about. So we think like, well, you know, so Becky Manoa two is this year's. Um, Alan Duff in, the, in a way mm-hmm. and no disrespect to either of them but they've written great books that have come out at a great time and that are really important and but you know her success is incredible and, and incredibly hard fought mm-hmm. but that's the one for this year yep. and maybe for next year and for last year and that is the one relatively unknown writer until the book came out that has had some form of success and guess what it you know, she's still working her ass off and yep. s- slogging out hard. It's not like it's bought her a house and she can put her feet up. And I think some people think that's <laughs> the case with yeah, the success story. You have to sell story. a lot of books. Too. You can't do it in New Zealand. You can't do no. it. You cannot do it to a level where you can ever take your foot off the gas mm. at all. But I think some people still, you know, I put a book of poems out and I have people saying, um, oh, you must be enjoying sales. And it's like, well, I hope there are some. I don't know if there Yeah, it's are. a fucking and book of poems. Exactly. Like, you know, like, I'm, I'm really pleased it happened, but um, I don't think I'm going to get anything out well, of it. I have a few friends who are professional poets mm. as well as, and like, I don't know a single person who's a professional poet yeah. and not something else. Not, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, like, you're never going to sell yeah. that many. No, no, there's no. No. 
I mean, that's how, not how, why you do I, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, there's not much demand for yeah. books of, especially yeah. of New Zealand poetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you do it because you need to. Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way certainly about like when I was working in the restaurant industry and now working with wine. Yeah. Like working in the restaurant industry to a certain degree I did it because it was something that I felt like I needed to do people always say a great way you know what's the cliche a great way to make a small fortune yeah. is to take a large yeah. fortune and open a restaurant yeah well I mean it's the same it's the, they, they, they say that of, the, of restaurants but they also say the wine is like yeah. how, how do you make a lot of money in the wine mm. industry yeah oh, sorry how do you like make a little bit of money in the wine industry yeah. start with a lot take a lot yeah um, yeah yeah. So, what what was your involvement in that? How did that come to be? Into moving into actually having some sort of stake in restaurants. So uh, you worked like you you know we we yeah. So I worked in restaurants. You were, you were doing the hospitality thing. You were gaining experience the whole time yeah. and moving up through wine waiting to yeah. So to sommelier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. No, I mean, so it's sort of like being a sommelier, sort of like on the side. Yeah. Um, and very few restaurants in New Zealand have the capacity to hire a little alone pay a full-time sommelier yeah but i think the ones that do really benefit from it mm-hmm. um because a good sommelier can sell a lot of very expensive wine and have customers coming back again mm. and again and again so if you invest money in the right place like it it pays off mm. um but then a bad sommelier can also spend a fuck ton of money on wine that no one can sell mm. and i've don't think I've been that, but I've certainly seen that. Um, so yeah, so working in the restaurant industry, um, so we did the first book that did really well, as mentioned. Yeah. Um, and then I met Asha, um, who at the time owned the ramen shop, um, and we just sort of like got talking. We we did a couple of pop up events and things like that, and um, basically we decided to open what became Hillside Kitchen um, in Thorndon. Um, and then since I've opened Tinakori and then the space which was was the ramen shop, then was Karaja Burger and now is Bowl, um, which has been sort of like a, it's just a sort of like always been a sort of temporary, mm. let's do something different mm. with it because it's a weird little space. Um, but I, I'm not super active in, in the restaurant yeah. industry yeah. Yeah. or the restaurant side of it at all. I kind of focus on the wine yeah. business. But it's good for your um, business card. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, yeah, it, 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 yeah. And it, it, it does. sounds like um, as much of a clever, calculated move as writing a book about beer to write a book about wine. It's a similar thing, isn't it? it yeah, I guess so. And that they go together, yeah. absolutely. And you're not. It's not like you've got part shares in a sports team because it's going to make you money, and you don't give a fuck about it. It's yeah. totally connected it's, to what you do. It is totally connected, and yeah, it's like certainly it, it does. It does help, and it's also really good. It's also really good and challenging when we're doing something differently or we're changing something up to be kind of involved in that process. Mm, mm. And so what, what uh, you've got your own wine importing company. Or yeah, so well, we've, got, so we've got a retail business. Yeah. So um, that's called Cot Wine. Yeah. Um, and so we started that just over four years ago. Um, and so we were originally like a physical bricks and mortar shop in Thorndon. And so we opened in September and then in November of that year, that massive earthquake that like killed the Kaikoura yeah. road and all that sort of stuff happened. And unfortunately that part of Thornton was really fucked for a really long time. Mm. Um, and so physical retail just wasn't viable. And yeah. if we'd stayed doing what we were doing, we would certainly be like out of business. Mm. Um, and so we changed up kind of what we did a couple of times. Um, we're now kind of online only. I'm also involved with a project called Tiara Wine. So we're mm. like a little urban winery in, in town and we kind of make 
fun, off the wall, sort of crazy wine. Yeah, how did that come about? Um, again, like it was just a, a conversation with um, with Robin, my business partner, and we're sort of like we're talking about stuff, and we kind of had similar ideas, and there was like well, just let's let's make this happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've managed to yeah, there's no conflict of interest for you in any of these things. They're all oh, there's always there's always conflicts. I'm sure there's the perception of I'm just thinking like as you're laying them out to me, and when I read about them, and and yeah, knowing what I know about you on Facebook, I go well, this all lines up. These are it, it all yeah it all lines up but there's always there's always competing interests yeah but even even if it's just my time sure where it's I like say okay that. so like this thing needs this this yeah. thing needs that this thing yeah. needs that and also like um like balancing balancing all of the business relationships between each other is not easy either it's like mm. you got to be aware of all those things and that does cause can cause conflict you're a family man as well yep. so how busy are you <laughs> Oh, at, like at the moment because it's November and I've got a book out and it's yeah like November's probably yeah. the busiest booze sales month of the year. It's crazy. Um, same like last month with Wellington on a plate, um, and then hopefully in January and February, it's like a little bit more relaxed. Bit of breathing space. Um, yeah. But yeah, I know I. I am busy. I mean, uh, yeah, um, it's better than the opposite, though, right? Yeah. Well, if it's the opposite, then I mean, like I've I've always suffered with pretty pretty bad anxiety and depression, mm. and when I'm not doing stuff, that's really tough because mm. I just like crash. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm busy and like always like juggling all so sorts of things. Have you geared it so that you are? usually busy basically not as, not intentionally but probably but and then that's actually worked out quite yep. well yeah yeah so it hasn't been quite that calculated yeah, but yeah. that's a good byproduct yep. of having all these different things to yep. do yeah 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 so you said it took a, a four years or so of this so you sit down to do the wine book finally well you, i was writing it all the way along yeah yeah. yeah yeah no but i mean like so you first contact publishers about it so I mean, but that that was that was before the beer book. Yeah, yeah, and it was yeah. Prob- it was like a slightly different book, but it had a similar yeah a similar um, tone. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was like all these new producers are doing really cool, fucking exciting shit, mm. and very few people are talking about. Them. Um, and so I pitched that, and there was like basically I was told there's no interest in a wine book, and yeah. even like. I mean, there seems to be a big renaissance in wine at the moment, um, partly led by natural wine, but not exclusively. But even now, I'm, I've sort of been told by a couple of small booksellers, there is no interest in books about wine. We mm. don't sell them. We're not interested. Mm. Um, and that's fine. Um, I don't think they're right, because if I thought they were right, I wouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is, it is what it is. But yeah, so... Um, I fucking don't even know what the question. Well, was. I was just just trying to get to how this book fully comes about, and the and that you know you've touched on it, but the decisions to to self publish it, create your own publishing yep. thing, essentially your own company to have it, and what you touched on there around bookstores basically allegedly not being interested in it. I mean that doesn't matter either, does it? Because people buy their wine now online without going into a shop. Yep. People buy books on many subjects without going into a shop and uh, vineyards and restaurants and tasting rooms 
are more than just places where you get a drink and something to eat. Yep. You go there for entertainment. You go there for product. You, you go, go there, there to socialise. You go there to socialise. You go you go home with a bunch of merchandise. Yep. Um, so you can put the book on at these places. You can put on events yep. around the book, which you'll no doubt have done and will do. Yep. So it sort of doesn't matter, right? Like... You know, obviously it's, hey, if every bookstore wants your book and reports back they're selling heaps, that's fucking wonderful. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's but there's, the there's other ways of doing it. there are other ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not the ultimate, that's not like dead end. Yeah, no, no, take, exactly. Take and I mean, road. same like um, with other retailers. Yeah. And like, I mean, we're probably slightly closer to Christmas than I would like to release yeah, it, yeah. but um, it's the same. It's like, okay, so it's a good time to do it. People want to buy gifts and things. So it's like, yeah. I put on Facebook just yesterday because a couple of people messaged me and said, hey, can we, is there a way you can sign your book and send it to me? And I was like, yeah, there is. I'll just go and get you one. And Do I'll, you not have like a stash? I ha- I've had a stash and I could get some more. But I was like, I'll just go and get you one and I'll sign it and send it to you. And you can just pay me the, you know, the amount. And so when that happened twice, I was like, oh, I'm actually going to sort of advertise this. Mm. And so I just did a really ad hoc like, Hey, if you want the book as a Christmas present for someone, uh, it's a cheap option. You know, it's I'm going to send it to you for thirty bucks, including postage. So you've bought it from, and I just go and buy it from the shop. I'm no, just buying it from the shop. Just, why don't you buy a box from the publisher? Well, I can do that, but I just want to make, make some money off it. Well, I don't remember because I'm because as I already explained, I'm a useless cunt. So there's that. <laughs> but also, I just I really like the idea that this is so above board yeah. that I'm actually not standing to make anything off it, but my book sales are going to tick over as a result. Yeah. So. Oh, look, if it got to the point where... Look, if I had a massive demand, yeah, yeah. Then, then I would do that. What I'm saying is, in, in a day, I've had half a dozen people say, yes, yeah. please. But I just think that's nice. Yeah. And so if that carries on, then I'll look at an alternative method to this because I won't keep visiting the store every day and buying a couple of a couple copies. Of or, and, and I'll have to start working on my you know disguises after a while so that I don't look like... You know, I'm yeah, because that <laughs> happened. Going in and buying my own book. That happened to... Well, was it one of the Trumpy books? Yeah. yeah where like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like... Oh, I, totally. It must happen a lot. I, I, in fact, I'd love to have the money to, to like, go into <laughs> Unity and buy enough copies to put myself on the spin-off top. 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, that's always been my goal. Like yeah. that spin-off top ten is like that's 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 when you've really made it. It's pretty cool. Oh. I got <laughs> I I got I got number one when my book launched, and I did not think it would get number one, mm. and it did. So that was pretty cool. Like the week yeah. that it launched, and it's it's I mean it is classic New Zealand book stuff. You get on the list the week your book launches, and then you're and off. Then you're off. Yeah. And so it's but it is it's just a nice warm feeling yeah. you know it's like that's pretty cool yeah. that that that's a recognition that some copies were sold yes that's all it is yeah um and so i like that you kind of blended just enough of your story your you know your wine memoir if you like mm. your personal journey with it is in the book without without taking over you know yeah like cheers um that was a funny one because now because when i originally wrote the book i didn't have like a financial interest in mm. Or several wine businesses. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it could have been a much more traditional guide, guide, guidey, booky yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, like now, I can't, I can't not. Yeah, you got to acknowledge the elephant, the the elephant in the room, mm. and so it makes way more sense writing from a much more personal point of view, mm. um, and 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 acknowledging that and taking the flak for for that, mm. um, than trying to stand above it all mm, because mm. that would 
a not be true but it'll also be like i don't know i think that would be very unethical yeah, um yeah especially when like i sell many not all of the producers that are mentioned in the book and so if i was to try and then go oh this 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 and this from this like quite detached formal like traditional perspective then um yeah it would be really un- un- yeah. unethical yeah, yeah and i mean like i write about my winery yeah because i think it's got an interesting story to tell yeah yeah or our winery um yeah. yes but, but the way you've set it up that's allowed you to do yeah. that that's yeah, right yeah. like you couldn't just have that in there if you hadn't acknowledged no it look, that would look terrible yeah it would look like this guy wasted every other page so he could do this page hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's how people... So we talked a tiny bit about this before we started recording, but um, tell me about the feedback and blowback and criticism of writing about beer and wine that either you've suffered or that that you know of, because obviously I'm no stranger to copying abuse for opinions, um, but I don't know what it's like in other, you know, styles of writing. Yeah, so first and foremost, like, I'm not a critic. Mm. Um, And I've... I used to do it when I, again, didn't have, like, a financial interest in a business. Mm, mm. But I don't think I was ever very good at it anyway. Um, so, essentially, I've like, all of these books I've written to help promote the industry yeah. and help promote the producers and, and encourage people to try something that they've never tried before. Um, but, like, I haven't, I don't. I don't know what it's going to be yet. It's very hard to, as we were saying, it's very hard to predict what it would be. I think, I mean, some people will probably take issue with the fact that I address some of, like, the the, the, the more difficult side of the, the industry. So, I mean, sexism and racism is not, um, is not isolated to the wine industry, but there are certain aspects of it that are particular to wine mm. and so like writing this book in 2020 or finishing the book in 2020 um you can't not acknowledge those i mean the same goes for cultural appropriation there are mm. a lot of new zealand wine companies um that make a lot of money using maori words and symbology mm. um and not all of it is inherently problematic and i don't think it's necessarily fair to judge uh, judge businesses and people on um, on things that were acceptable. Like mm. I, I, like, I don't want to fucking cancel anyone. That's mm. the last thing I want to do. Mm. But like some of the things that were a lot of things that were acceptable even five years ago. Yeah, I was just going to say are things, no longer acceptable. What's an and, example? Can you think of off the top of your head of something that's changed in the time you wrote the book, like that you or that you would have had a different, you know, that's been well, brought I'd, to your. I'd, I'd rather give you an example of like a, a producer doing a really cool thing okay. with that. Yeah, and that's crew. So um, this is the new entity, well, the new one of the new produ- one of the new wineries owned by Steve Smith mm-hmm. and um, a Texan. I think he's Texan, um, Brian Sheth. Mm. Um, and so what they've done with their wines is, um, and actually Sam Harrop on why he's done the same thing, is instead of naming the place in the traditional English way, mm. they've acknowledged the traditional Māori names mm-hmm. of the places that the grapes were grown. So instead of Bridge Pa, it says, depending on where the wine's mm. from, it says either Omahu or, or Heratonga. Oh, yeah, yeah. Instead of Waiheke, it mm-hmm. says Anatangi. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, my pronunciation's probably shit. So apologies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, there are ways to 
engage yeah. that are creative and different and and move the narrative forward. Mm. Um, but yeah, there are all sorts of things that 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 are not okay now that that were okay. Mm. And so I like yeah, I don't know. I don't necessarily want to want to. Sure. I mean, my my biggest challenge for, is for producers is that if they do get challenged on these things going forward, then they need to react to that in a constructive way and not, like, be a dick about it. Mm. Um, because ultimately, we do have, a, like, a weird call-out culture in the world now, and I don't necessarily think it is entirely healthy. Like, there mm. are some good things about it, like... People can no longer get in, get away with really bad behaviour. Yeah, totally. Um, but at the same time, New Zealanders being a slightly reserved bunch love a bit of a pile on. Once yeah. it's started, we'll get on board, and that's yeah. kind of uh, gross as well. And so, so yeah. if 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 yeah, if if someone is challenged on their use of a Māori word or 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 mm. a name or something, it's about like moving forward and and changing things mm. because just going oh well it was okay then it's okay now is, is I don't think that that flies anymore mm. um, and like, I actually spoke to a really cool friend from high school Charles Rappatini mm-hmm. um, and he now works for the Napier City Council um, and he does a lot of work with wineries in terms of consulting on using Māori names and things like that um, and he was great and, um, I mean, one of the things he said is just, like, he's talked to people. Um, because, yeah. Yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's all really interesting. And um, I, I loved um, stuff in the book, too, that, you know, you know I'm, I'm not actively following the wine industry. And, obviously, this year I'm taking a big sabbatical from drinking, so I'm even less enthused towards that. But I found it really interesting, and I love things like... You know, I've been going over to the Wairapa a bit lately and I've always thought of them as such a great wine industry and I was interested to know how little the impact of everything they're doing actually has on wine sale. You know, like as a producer, they're not massive at all. No. But they do, you know, the, 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 you know a lot of people go, oh, we'll go to Martinborough, that's a, you, know, you go there because yeah. it's wine country. I mean, and you and go so- to places like Poppies because it's amazing. But... You know, they're not like this giant big player in the scheme of things. No, and I mean, like... I find that really interesting. The same is true of Canterbury. Yeah. Um, obviously, Central Otago's really made this really cool reputation for Pinot Noir. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I think a lot of people forget that, like, um, 88% of our exports are Sauvignon Blanc, and 90% of the, that comes from Marlborough. Mm. So... On the world, on the grand scheme of things, like if you look from outside in, it kind of looks like a monoculture, mm-hmm. um, and that element of it isn't necessarily healthy either. And I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons. I mean, that's not no, it's not the reason why I wrote the book, but like while I was writing the book, I came up against the fact that this is yeah yeah um, a huge issue, and we need to find other things to do, mm-hmm. other wines to make, other grapes to grow, both, I mean, I don't think we'll ever find anything that's as profitable, mm. it's like as cheap to make relatively high quality as Sauvignon Blanc, yeah. but we need to find other things to do, because Sauvignon Blanc will eventually 
find well, its way out of fashion. Has that not started to happen? Like, it clearly hasn't if that's still a stat, but uh, just anecdotally, like, there's been a massive shift from, in New Zealand, from Sav Blanc to Rosé, right? Like, Yeah. Or um, have I got that wrong? That's just me using my eyes at bars and parties. Yeah, I... I think there's been a long... I actually probably think the opposite is happening in New Zealand, um, where we're starting to acknowledge that Sauvignon Blanc is something that's really special to New Zealand, especially in sort of Mm. the more serious wine world, Mm -hmm. Um, and that producers can make absolutely exceptional, like, wonderful Sauvignon Blancs. Mm. Um, And also, like, there are some stunning Sauvignon Blancs at like 25 to 30 bucks that hands down beat most other white wines just in sheer quality um, that we can make in New Zealand anyway. Mm, okay. But like I think I think it's more a case of um, there is a particular economic model about making bulk Sauvignon Blanc yeah, I was very say, cheaply. The perception is the cheeky salve yeah. and that that has had, again, blessing curse, right? Like, and and at the moment, because we can produce it very cheaply, because there is a lot of international demand for it, um, that's fine. I'm, I'm less worried about New Zealand demand because I think that generally New Zealand producers are relatively good at either leading trends or responding to changes in the market in mm. New Zealand mm. because they have that immediate relationship. And that's what we're what I find Australia really exciting because unlike New Zealand, the biggest market for Australian wine is Australia. Mm-hmm. We're like the fourth biggest market for New Zealand wine. Um, and so producers have that direct relationship both with consumers in terms of wine clubs, in terms of all those sorts of things, but also with um, the retailers and the sommeliers and the people selling them. So I think we're relatively good at, 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 at moving domestically. Mm. But my, the thing that we're not, like, grape growing is a, re, is a long-term thing. So, like, there's more and more Sauvignon Blanc being planted. And if something like Sideways happens to Sauvignon Blanc. Like, I don't necessarily think mm-hmm. it will. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw, like, Merlot, I, and I don't have the numbers off, off the top of my head, but you saw M- Merlot sales drop really significantly in the USA for a couple of years. They since came back, mm-hmm. but, like, there was a big trough of Merlot sales. Mm-hmm. Um, that hurt a lot of people. You know, I might be one of the only people, but when I watched Sideways, it made me start drinking Merlot. <laughs> I well, think that, that's that, just that's that, maybe the mild contrarian that I am. But that's that, that's, <laughs> the, that's the joke about sideways. Yeah. In the last scene, mm. the very very expensive bottle of Bordeaux he's yes. drinking at like it's not McDonald's but it's something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It is, it's Merlot. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean <laughs> Merlots. I, I I struggle with Merlot. There's mm. some absolutely amazing ones, but I um, the thing I find hard about it is just selling it. There's, yeah. It, you can make great Merlot in New Zealand. Yeah. But finding the market for it. For me, I think is really tough. Since I've stopped drinking, it's dried up even further. But uh, <laughs> you know, I was I was always really into it because I just think like here's my logic as an uncultured, unsophisticated, unknowledgeable wine drinker or ex wine drinker. Uh, I couldn't afford the Pinot Noir that I liked the most. Yeah. 
because I find no one no one can afford the Pinot Noir that they like. Them. That's true. Cause, so cause I found you try the next one and then you're always like, oh, there's yeah. one better than that. So my dad will drink Pinot Noir, and uh, when I was allowed, I would have some of his and enjoy- like you know when I was in his company, he would have a nice bottle of it, and that was great, and I would like that, and then I would go and try and find one. Uh, similar but a step down and I would find that it tasted incredibly thin um, is how I would describe it and um, not full enough for me and I would find that on a budget um, even a fairly you know mediocre Merlot had the weight and the heft in it that I would look for which makes me sound like a volume drinking ogre and frankly that's absolutely what I was so (laughs) you know it worked for me yeah, the thing. Like, but I like to think I had some idea of taste, and you know, the notes that I was getting around that. Like, I'm not a complete slob, but you know, I'll, I'll own who I was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Merlot's Merlot's one where um, you can get utterly delicious, mm. big, rich, silky, mm. frankly, really delicious wines that you can't with Pinot and Syrah mm-hmm. or Cabernet. At twenty twenty five bucks, there are mm. great Merlots at twenty five bucks. Mm. Mm. Um, I guess one of the one of the problems with Merlot is that a lot of new consumers see that as mum and dad's wine yeah. and therefore don't want to drink it. Yeah, it's not cool. Yeah, it's not basically it's not cool. And so with all of these developments in uh, wine in your life in the wine industry in the last say five years and the the different levels of involvement you've had. Have you been able to stay up to date in any way with craft beer, which has been moving exponentially as well, right? You must have dropped off the radar big time. I still drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still drink beer. But uh, in terms of following it, But following it, no. um, Even with the second book, there were things that I... And that came out in 2017. That came out in 2017. Yeah. There were things... it's changed heaps since then. It's changed heaps since (laughs) then. But there were things that I didn't like about that book that I made... But changes that I made because I thought it would make it a better book, but ultimately mm. it didn't. Mm. Um, but like there is, there is so much consistent change in craft beer, both from who's making it, but also like styles. Like wines, very slow. Mm. Craft beer, you can get any two, three, four, five different names of styles put hyphens between them and you've made a new one (laughs) and so like keeping up with that unless you're working in the industry or unless you are covering the industry full-time is virtually impossible Mm. it's like fucking hazies i hate this is like my hot take of the Mm. day Mm. hate fucking hazy ipas there's a couple i love (laughs) um actually i really like the two relatively low alcohol parrot dog ones So, so they're like 4.5 4.5 and 5.5 yeah, they're yeah. not like 6, 7, yeah, 8, yeah. but I, yeah I don't know I, I re- it's a style I really struggle with they're very sweet and creamy and it's just like the last thing I want well, when I'm drinking a beer I'll give a free plug for my next drinker I always thought Parrot Dog was excellent stuff overall like across the board I yeah. think they may make uh, it's been a while since I've had one obviously but I think they make great beers I, I've now probably consistently got a Parrot Dog there's more likely to be a parrot dog beer in my fridge than almost anything else. Mm. Like I love that little cheeky little black label lager. The 
Better bitch, it's great. But yeah, um, I don't know. I fight, that's not. It's just not a beer I like. Yeah, the yeah. Rifleman, the XPA. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because like now, because I generally want, like, I want beer, beer. Like, mm. I want it. I, I like hoppy beer, but I want it to be like clean, focused, a little mm. bit hoppy, but dry and fresh. Mm. And so, like, yeah, that the the Rifleman's, and then the yeah, the two the two hazies that they have in their core range, mm. they're like the only hazy IPAs that I've tried that have gone wow, these are really delicious beers. And I mean, like, that's just a personal preference. Like, I don't. If you like those beers, go for it. It's yeah, the same yeah. with wine. Yeah. Um, the only thing is, like, even with natural wine, with more experimental winemaking, a you can only do it once a year. So there's not this constant, in beer there's this constant iteration, and there's also constant pressure from the market mm. for brewers to make silly shit. Mm. Mm. And like yes. some people are really good at it. Like yeah. I think um, Andrew Childs at Behemoth is really good at making kind of weird flavored beers. But the market seems to really want them, and that's that's great. Mm. Um, well, the brand is there too, right? Yeah. Like the the look and feel of their design, as well as their name, has allowed them to, you know, people yeah. will take what they're going to be given yeah. from them. Which, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's true of Yeasty Boys and uh, Garage Project and a few of the others yeah, as well, I, I suppose. But um, I think Garage yeah. Project's an interesting case because they started very out there with very experimental beers and they still make those beers um yeah, and true. some of them are exceptional and like some of the wild workshop stuff is fucking outrageously good yeah. and i mean that again that like more aligns with wine i like too because like the crossover between really fucked up crazy beer and really fucked up mm. crazy wine they kind of like almost start tasting the same. Yeah, they got me drinking. Aro <laughs> I mean, Noir was big for me when yep. when when they opened, and obviously living down the road from them, that was big for me. And but even like the chili stuff and that, you know, the uh, day of the dead beers and stuff. I mean, I never would have drunk stuff like that previously, but and I got into trying that. They now make a ton of very beautifully executed hoppy pale ale. Yeah, yeah lager pilsner in various forms and like mm. i think people that's one of the things people love about garage project because they because they've managed to be able to do both mm. but you know that if you go and get a six pack of beer mm. beer beer yeah um, it's going to taste exactly like the last six pack of beer beer yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's not um it's, it's consistent it's yeah. got its thing and it does what it says on the tin yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so in all of this have you maintained how much um interest have you maintained in the in the sort of theatre realm the art side of life as a as a as a follower if not a practitioner of any kind yeah i like I, it's, you know. it's always something that's interesting mm. to me like i am also like really fascinated by um how elements from different other creative sectors because i do think i mean like wine and beer their traits, mm. like it, like the hardest thing about being a great winemaker and a great brewer, um, is being able to make the same thing or as close to the same thing with a different starting point. Mm. Like you can always have a different vintage, um, again and again and again. Like mm. that's the fucking hardest thing, and it's the most underrated thing about both both industries. Um, and here I am writing a book about people doing really crazy weird shit and like mm. changing it all up. Um, 
but like I also think it's it is a creative practice as well people are trying to do interesting things mm-hmm. they're trying to express themselves and I, I, I'm always really fascinated where like art and food and wine and theatre like crossover mm. Mm. Um, like, I, I, I'm now like a consumer of all those things um, I love going to the theatre yeah. um, when I've got time um, yeah, I, I suppose we've seen it in the sponsorships, but not just the sponsorships, but like the, you know, again, the venues, yep. things like Parrot Dog um, and Panhead venues putting on music festivals yep. or standalone concerts or um, themed, you know, um, restaurant bar places like Whistling Sisters and that having their themed yeah, evenings. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so like, I, but I don't, I don't sort of engage yeah. kind of like professionally in yeah, those yeah, yeah. industries anymore yeah. which is a shame because I'd like to but like you can only do so many things yeah, yeah, yeah. and if I did another thing my wife would kill me <laughs> but she's uh, as is the case for many of us with um, uh, a significant other in our life she's sort of the special secret of your success oh yeah she just pushes me and makes me actually like achieve what I've, what I've I'm really good at going if someone's like hey you should do this I'm like yeah let's do it and then I'm not always as good as executing that, as as illustrated by the fact this book has taken five years, um, or four years longer than it was originally intended to. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so she like she does yeah push me, and it's been yeah she's amazing. Yeah, awesome. Hey, well this has been a nice chat. It's been nice to meet you because you're someone that I bump into online. Yeah. A lot. It's because I comment on 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 your things. things and try to wind people up. Yeah, no, it's well, it's good. I was going to say, like you, you're you know you're someone who is forthright and opinionated online in a very good way. I oh, think. thank you. Yeah, because I, I try to. I like especially. I don't want to be an internet troll. I don't want to wind. No. I don't want to wind people up for the sake of winding people up. Yeah, yeah. But I do think, like, especially online, a lot of people struggle to see that other people have opinions that are different to theirs. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I do try to acknowledge that that there can be other ways of looking at things, and yes. I try to do that in a constructive way rather than being a dick. Yeah, I think I think I possibly do too sometimes. Um, you know, like because and that you can have more than one opinion on a particular subject. Yeah, like more, not more, liking one aspect of something doesn't mean you're writing the whole yeah, thing off. Yeah, more than or, more than one one thing can be true at the yeah, same time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and then you've got to have a bit of fun with that. Like today, I just before you came around, I wrote a review of the. Um, soundtrack to My Octopus Teacher at the Netflix documentary that everyone's loving and I was kind of like my favourite thing about this film is the music and here's why and then I'm like you know that doesn't mean I didn't like the film but I don't like the film anywhere near as much as everyone's telling me to like it because it's become one of those like water cooler oh have you seen the octopus documentary on Netflix a whole lot of people that have never watched fucking nature docos are like this dude had depression and he went and swam with an octopus and it changed his fucking life and it's like look I'm not I'm not downgrading his struggle but it's an average film but yeah, it's also, still got some lovely things about there it are also you know? some, there are some amazing movies or some, some good movies mm. that are amazing because they have outstanding soundtrack. Oh, totally. I mean, like, I would totally. say, I would say, um, and this is again like second hot take of the day. Mm. Donnie Darko is probably one of those. I think it's Stri- I th- stripped of any music. Donnie Darko would be. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Weird. I haven't. Um, um, I've not watched that film in so long. In fact, I think I probably never saw it twice. Yeah. But I think you're you're totally on the money that both its score and its and its songs, its source material, um, are a huge part of what made that 
film. I mean, I think like like my, one of my favorite movies is Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, and I yeah. think like it's a soundtrack like, movie. Stri- yeah. Stripped of its soundtrack, it would be horrific Total. to watch. Well, and it's almost <laughs> almost true of every Tarantino film yeah. in some way. Like obviously, his brand became strong enough to to survive, but I think his most recent movies, apart from the Hollywood one, which I liked, I think all those ones people got reinvested in, like Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained, I actually think their soundtracks are still the best things about those movies. I think they're only okay movies. I think they're way too long. And they, they are too long. They've got some good ideas, but they're also fucking stupid and a bit and a bit insensitive. See, I really like, what was the one in the in the, in the, 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 the bar in the middle of nowhere in like the middle of... Oh, the, 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 the vampire one that one. everyone hates. I really like yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it, no, the... Um, um, do you mean the vampire one? Or do no, you mean no, the Hateful no. Eight? Hateful Eight. Yeah, I, I really like that like, I, I like that. And yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it probably should be 45 minutes yeah. shorter. Well, you you know, I felt like that was a beautiful stage play that had been turned into and, a movie. And that's that's yeah. what I really like about yeah, it. It's because yeah. it, is, it, is, it is a play yes. on screen yeah, totally. rather than a huge cinematic experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I don't know, I quite enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so part two, when you come around for another podcast, we'll just talk movies. <laughs> I think that's very clear. But um, this has been really enjoyable. And, and best of luck with the book. Awesome. If you can make someone who's given up drinking, uh, as I currently have, enjoy a book about alcohol, I think you've done a good job and it makes you a good writer. Awesome. Cheers. Thank you. Red, red wine Go to my head Make me forget that I still need her soul Red, red wine It's up to you All I can do I've done But memories won't go